Annyeong SAO! Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, romance novelists and your K-Romance guides. So grab some deck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Leah. It's been a minute since we've gotten to do a pod just us. It has. What did we do last? I was was it to- Moon Lovers? I think it might be Moon Lovers. I think it was Moon Lovers, and that was a minute ago. (laughs) I was just talking Moon Lovers. So, quick plug for the uh, for our afternoon at us podcast uh, which for those of you who don't know I co-host with Grace um, so we've just done a podcast which was a ton of fun with um, Jess from Dayback Rambles K Rambles podcast um, and you've done a, a an episode on her podcast before I think you did Strong Woman de Bon Song with her didn't you yeah um, anyway we had Jess on just to have a chat to her about like K-dramas in general and how she started and everything and um yeah, she mentioned that IU is actually one of her favourite actresses, um, which then led me into saying that I love IU. I love I love my mister. This is going to probably come up in our podcast today. But then I couldn't resist just doing a dump like on IU in in Moon Lovers. Um, yeah, because then it was just all because Jess has done a Moon Lovers podcast as well, which I think um, was kind of more cathartic for me than it would be for you. <laughs> Look, yeah, no. Like, if you want to hear the contra, we had different opinions on Moon Lovers. So. We did. Can I just say also, I felt a little bit sorry for you these last couple of podcasts, as your fellow co-host have no plans whatsoever to watch any of your favorite shows. None, none. Actually, I feel okay. So look, we, you might need to come into this one. So I do want to say that this year, at this point, there's there's some more I need to catch up on. So I'm not going to call it yet. Yeah. But I'm going to say that so far for 2023, Duna has been my favorite new drama. There's two more. Mm. I want to still see Twinkling Watermelon and My Dearest, which could unseat. Yeah. But I'm just saying I loved it. And I know that you were a little bit more so-so. And Megan's watching it right now. And Megan's apparently loving it, which makes me happy because there's not many people who love it like I love it. I think I feel like the patron were with you more than with me. So my TLDR of it is like I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I didn't love it because it just didn't get me in the feels. Like I, there was a lot to admire in it, um, like individually as a drama. But I just never, yeah, I just never got, to, like I got to the end and I was dry eyed and I was like, it's nice, but yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was wet in a non-sexual way. I was wet in my face. <laughs> I was wet in my face quite a lot. And I was by, I, I just felt like it had me by the throat a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's great that Mecca's enjoying it. So that would be nice for you guys to pod. Yeah, but maybe yeah. we can bring you in as a dissenting. I don't know if Amy's. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happily. I'm always happy to be a dissenter. But yeah, I think. Well, it's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting. I don't know if you know, but my dearest has been so popular in Hong Kong. Uh, sorry, in Korea, I've got Hong Kong on my brain. It's been so. The ratings have been so good. They've added an extra episode, so it was already a twenty episode, which they'd split into two parts of ten, and now it's going to go to twenty-one episodes. So I'm still. So another plug. So me and Grace are preparing our UN year-end review pod on Afternoon Asks. So we've got a few patrons coming on to talk to us about their favorite dramas, and we're going to talk about our favorite dramas of 2023 as well. Um, and Grace is like, yeah, I got to figure out, you know, who, what's going to be my favorite drama. And I was like, mine keeps cha- Mine has changed the year, but I might 
I need to finish these last few episodes of My Dearest because it could potentially be my favourite drama of the year. Um, but if it's not, then so far it's actually moving, which I was trying to get Amy to watch because I really feel like it's an Amy drama because it's like Marvel meets K-drama. Yeah, I'm surprised she... I mean, look, I know we're all busy. I just am surprised because that one feels like an Amy one too. So we'll we'll see. I mean, look, we're only in... Er, we're getting into middle November. I feel like I'm not going to call anything until mid-December because I need to catch up on a couple things. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, all right. Well, we are going to get into... I don't, I mean, it's not an oldie, but I feel like, you know, the pace of K-drama is so relentless that, you know, if you're watching something not of the year, you know, I feel like we kind of like go back in a little time machine. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? Our last pod was Our Blues. And this was a drama that came out around the Our Blues time. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. Because this is 2022. This is not an old drama. No. Okay. So I'm going to just give, I'm, I went on Asian Wiki to just pull up the blurb. I don't think it's a particularly good blurb, which is why I want to share it. Because I think yeah. it's interesting how they try to sell it. And I kind of want to discuss that as well. <laughs> Do you think they try to sell it though? I think they just kind of wrote the bare bones of, of it, it felt like, anyway, you read it. I just, I just felt yeah, like, no, I don't yeah, know, I'll say I don't what I think afterwards. Yeah, I don't think they're trying to sell it. However a whole other conversation at some point needs to be about how shows do blurbs do blurbs. The functional duty of many blurbs is to kind of like sell the drama Asian wiki. Their job is not to necessarily sell it, but they're, you know, they're just trying to say, what is it about? Yeah. I do think at some point there should be a whole podcast on how shows get branded sometimes or what they, what gets sold because I don't think it's, I don't think it's a one size fits all. And I think there's ways that like, sometimes there's a misstep to how something's packaged. Yeah, yeah. So, I agree. Okay, so I'm just going to read through very quickly the Asian Wiki blur because I thought it was interesting enough to discuss. So here we go. My Liberation Notes tells the story of three siblings and a stranger. So we have Chung Hee is the middle child of the three siblings. He wants to escape from his family's home in Sampo Village, but he doesn't have a dream and just spends his life meaninglessly. He is looked down upon by his family members. Then we have Mi Jung. She's the youngest child of the three siblings, and she would like to be liberated from her boring life, but she is introverted and timid. She is lonely and feels unfulfilled in her life. I feel like Megan at this point would be like, I'm never, ever watching this. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Ji Jong, the oldest child of the three siblings. She has a hot temper. She wastes a lot of time commuting to her job in Seoul from Sonpo Village. Her life is filled with complaints, and she wants to find love. And then we have the famous or infamous Mr. Goo, who if anyone has heard about My Liberation Notes, it's probably because people talk about Mr. Goo, who is a mysterious man who suddenly appears in Sampo Village and is always drunk. One day, Mijong approaches him. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. I mean, to be fair, Megan would would have lost interest when she found out who wrote My Liberation Notes. Yeah. Because she, she, yeah. We're going to get into some of that too, about the writer (laughs) and how it, this is a writer who's going to work for some people and not work for others. But for you, what do you think in me just kind of going through that as like a cursory blurb, what are some of the key points missing to sell this to a listener? Well, I think you mentioned it. I think Mr. Goo, I mean, it's very hard, I think, um, 
to summarise Mr. Goo. But obviously, if we were writing a romance blurb, we'd have made it him sound much more sexy, captivating, magnetically mysterious and unpredictable. Um, and also just as a K-drama fan, you'd want to... Like, I think Son Soku's performance of him... Like, he is one of the most unique male leads of a K-drama, I think. And he's played to perfection by Son Soku. It's really, it's really a very unique performance. Yeah, I would agree. I would say I did not realize how much being a woman in my 40s, I was going to appreciate seeing an actor in his 40s at like the top of his like power of like yeah. everything. I mean, he is... I tried to sell to, I almost got Megan at one point. I actually don't want to sell it to Megan because I don't think she'll like it and I don't want to hear no. about it. But I did try to sell it to her at one point and I was like, he is sad and he is sweaty yes. and he works with power tools for like the whole first half of the drama. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the most Megan sell that you could. I mean, that's the other thing. It's not cold, right? It's not cold like Mr. My Mister. It's actually really hot and very very sweaty this drama it's the opposite of my mister yeah it's, like weather wise it's, it's like yeah the sweat is pooling in like all your undergarments sweaty exactly they really got the heat they, it was really claustrophobic heat they did that really really well um i think in general the cast is on top of its game i think uh kim ji-won is amazing in this but also Min ki so i think order wise did you watch this one first before you watched um, because this is my first life. I watched this. Give me a second. I watched this before my, because this is my first life. Yeah. Yeah. So mine was the other way around. So for me, Eamon Key was just like, wow, because he is so different. He is just so different. And then I think this is, this is absolutely, you know, a kind of a drama that's slow burn. It's character driven. It's slice of life. These are three things that absolutely hit you in the feels and and maybe doesn't for others so i think if this kind of drama is your thing it will speak to you but for me it it really does too so imperfect characters living life in a village that isn't rustic and cute and charming like it is in other k-dramas but one that's claustrophobic full of backbending agricultural work in the searing heat it's very you know it's it's deliberately set in this kind of real rustic environment and not not it's not adding a k-drama sheen to anything and then the script i think the script is amazing and um i mean i liked it when i was uh i always liked it when i was watching it it's actually one of the very few dramas where i actually paused it as i went just to scribble down quotes and put the quotes up on insta because i just thought they were so just so good like i think this writer is at the top of her game and there are whole sections of dialogue that the characters say that I just I just really really loved so just to give uh, for those of you who've not watched it a bit of a um a flavor of that um one quote early on from Mi Jong who's played by Kim Ji Wong I think spoke to so many of us who felt this at some point in our hamster wheel of life um I'm exhausted I don't know when it all started to go wrong, but I'm exhausted. Every relationship feels like work. Every moment that I'm awake feels like work. Nothing ever happens. No one ever likes me. And I just remember, like she said it in 
the amazing way that Kim Ji Won delivers her lines, and I was just like, oh wow, that is. I think that just hits home for so many people. So many people. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's like, really this drama could be summed up in like, you know, the idea of like the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Like really that's kind of like what the heart of this is, which is why I'm 100% convinced my co-host should never, <laughs> ever watch this. Because they're, and I mean, I'm not trying to belittle, it's just not for them. And I think that you have to have you also have to, and I'm going to get into some thoughts in a second on it that um, I wanted to pull from another source, but I think you need to have a lot of patience with this drama too. Yeah. 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 It really takes its time. And I think that's, that's part of the magic of it as well. I think this drama, when you start off, I mean, they're not particularly likable characters. They're quite spiky or they're quite silent and they're quite hard to read and quite hard to place. And this drama just draws you in and then you don't realize how much you're rooting for them and how much you come to love them until stuff kind of happens to them. Things get thrown at them and you realize, wow, I really, I'm really invested in their lives and I'm really invested in seeing them grow and their character arcs. Um, and it's, it's kind of the genius of the show, I think, that in some ways there is, the blurb can't really sell it because actually nothing really that much happens it's not like crash bang huge drama huge massive amount of conflict it's actually just these characters kind of working their way through very human like life and here is my like pitch to this is that sometimes i feel like i've had like i'm gonna i'm gonna pick on some dramas like i'm gonna pick on one i really dislike which is cafe minimdong where i'm yes. gonna say that like i feel like just in that drama so much felt like it just happened to happen because it was like we just need to like keep energy going we need to have stuff happening to get to the end and so i felt like it just i was so bored because i just felt like it was just stuff to happen to like have a be funny but it never felt really funny so i just like to me i feel like there was like a frenetic energy to it that just didn't work whereas to me this is like the opposite of that in that like there's no frenetic energy, but I don't think it like loses its way. I don't think it's a meandering story. I think it's just no. very deliberate. And so you just have to accept the fact that like, yeah, there's not going to be like big bang crash, funny stuff happening. But if you just go along for the ride, the journey, no like the writer knows and the actors, they all came together and they basically like the story tells itself, the director sh made sure this drama was shot really well and really interesting. I think like the camera angles and everything are really cool in it. And then I feel like the actors all like make it not sappy because they're all layered and they play it very interestingly and enigmatically. And it like, and again, like, yeah, these are people that at face value, these are not the most likable people you've ever seen. They're yeah. not horrible people either. They're just people. But you're kind of like, oh, I mean, they're okay. But I'm not like, oh, my God, you've. It's not like Kong Han at the beginning of When the Camellia Blooms, where like, again, that's kind of <laughs> campy, but like, he's so adorable that you're like, I'm just going to love him no matter what. Like, that's it's yeah, not yeah. it's not that kind of a hometown vibe. No, 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 I agree. It's not hometown cha-cha-cha. No, no, it's going to be like no. you, you go into your office and there's people that you're like friendly with and like, you know, you can make some small talk over coffee, but you're not like, boy, come and go on lunch with me and like, let's hang out and get to know each other. You're kind of like, they're all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then my last one was uh, an unconventional romance. Uh, uh, one that you wouldn't root for in real life because no friend should fall for an alcoholic man whose name you don't even know. 
Um, but you do. You do in this drama. And uh, it is one of the most offbeat romances. And again, it's another genius of the drama, I think, to make you care and root so much for these two people that it doesn't give you it doesn't give you romance beats like their their romance the way it happens it's not not conventional at all and um nothing happens and in the pace that you think it will happen there isn't you know it's not following an obvious romantic line um but yeah by pretty early on in the drama you kind of find yourself rooting for them yes and we're going to get into that later because that's a wild that's a wild success this drama has. There's no business that you need, should root for this this couple to work. None. Yeah. None. Yeah. Okay. So there was, I was like reading a little bit about, you know, because I, I know a lot of people, I tend to feel like if you watched it, you tended to like it. I think like you knew going in that this was going to yes. be something you liked. So I wanted I to agree. kind of just see like, what did other people think or, you know, outside the bubble. I didn't see a lot of people though who went through the whole drama and walked away unhappy. So, but one thought I that I enjoyed was um, it came from a site called Review Geek, and sometimes yeah. I enjoy opinions posted there. And so I'm going to read this one, which was on paper, my liberation notes should be another JTBC misfire, hot off the heels of Green Mother's Club, forecasting love and weather, and 39. My liberation notes look to follow suit and slip into uneventful mediocrity. With a super simple premise, a very slow pace, not to mention a stacked weekend of shows to compete against. It seemed like the chips were stacked against this one. Like the battle between David and Goliath, sometimes the most unexpected outcome occurs. And thus, that's exactly what happens here. Carefully constructed, walking a tightrope between slice of life and character drama, My Liberation Notes is a special series and an astonishing example of how to tell a simple story exceptionally well. And I was like, that's it. That's the, to me, that was like, that's the sell. It is. It, I, I hadn't really thought before about dis making a big distinction between slice of, slice of life and character drama. And I mm. think that's probably a mistake because sometimes you do get slice of life without a particularly deep dive into like a character drama. And I think that's another conversation to have for another time. But really in this case, that's what this, that's what this writer seems to, I mean, my mister was the same, right? Yes. And I have yeah. not seen another Miss O yet. No. Have you? That's kind of, yeah, I have. Um, I really loved it. Uh, I was messaging Megan all the way through it and you know, she hated it. It was quite funny, but I don't, I don't, kind of think of it as a comp for this actually it, it, only in terms of its writing i think it's like the writing i think you can tell that the writer is the same um but it's it's you know much more light-hearted much more comedy much more dramatic much more romance and less slice of lifey yeah well i need to see it because i kind of i feel like that i might be missing one but i feel like at least those are the popular trifecta like she must have some other stuff at least stuff that she's worked on but yeah seem to be like what she's known for now yeah, no, you need to watch it. It's Alison's favorite. Like, it's one of her top dramas. Yeah, it's one of my plans to watch. I'm definitely watching it in the next few months. So, but I feel like, again, it's one that I want to, like, take some time with because in some ways, 
I think at some point we are going to get into my mister and I want to talk about why, because my mister, it wasn't, I always feel like I got misrepresented that it became like the pod, <laughs> the pod just didn't like my mister. And I was like, did everyone forget that I liked my mister? Fine. My problem, I think, was that I ended up not, my mister ended up not being my favorite drama I've ever seen, whereas so many people felt like that. So I was like, I felt like there was like no space to be, and I wasn't even like, meh, I liked it. I was like, no, I legitimately think this is a good drama. It's just not my most favorite drama. And that's okay. Like, this isn't my most famous drama either. I just think it's a damn good drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get I get that. And I feel you. I think it's maybe because, you know, your co-hosts were so vehement. <laughs> so it felt like your, your stance was... It got overshadowed a little bit. Yes, I, I feel like it too. And people have, like, written to us over and over, like, why did the pod not like it? And I'm like, was I just not there? Like, what? and so it's true but then i i think for me like so grace and i have talked about so grace and i are actually doing um our own my mister um but we're doing it with um our confucian miniseries so we're gonna talk about confucian uh influences uh in uh, Asian society and then kind of link it with real life examples into my mister but then at the same time give it the deep dive we think it deserved so i think what it is was that those of us who were fan, big, big fans of the drama, like basically most of the time we feel like one of the three of you will come and represent like our views the closest. And I think most of us kind of knew that it wasn't going to be an Amy and Megan drama. Uh, and so we pinned our hopes on, on you kind of being the one who was going to be like out there to bat for it. So I think that's probably what it was. Yeah. And I will say that, yes, there's elements to it that I think that like looking at the lens that you're using and the experiences that resonated for you the most, I think that, yes, some of those did not land as hard for me for a bunch of different reasons, most likely because I'm a white lady from the U.S. too. Um, and I mostly relied around the, like, the grand the grandmother character, I feel like, is where I was kind of, like, I was just not as, like, engrossed in, like, kind of her ending and, like, what happens in, like, the greater world with that. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, no, not against that. it. I just didn't, like, no. I wasn't, like, oh, my God, yes, I get this. Like, I was just kind of, like, it's Yeah. Okay. And I, I think also, I mean, like, Grace and I will touch on this as well, but I think there's also, I mean, we're getting off thingy a bit, but, but, but I think my mister carries on a, a kind of tradition in Asian dramas of hugely, massively tragic things happening to the female lead. And... um that being a basis for her story and i think i do remember for megan it was just too much it was like this is just not very realistic that this person would get put through so much um but i kind of like when i was listening to it i was just kind of reflecting that actually yeah i think that might be because you know the dramas i grew up with um watching i mainly watched hong kong dramas but there was always this thing of like look at this poor characters that was like we're gonna throw like a ton of shit at this character and then you know watch them kind of go through it um so i think there's this kind of drama i guess uh tradition or uh legacy um that then didn't kind of hit me or grace as that unusual because it's mm -hmm. yeah part of kind of what we grew up with and this felt less like that over the top stuff like nobody was just showing up to like you know, punch the, well, I mean, I guess they kind of, some of them do punch characters in the face, but I'm saying like, Mijong isn't like waking up in the morning and someone's just beating the shit out of her for like a little no. shark gone wrong no. deal, you know? No. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a lot. I think this is firmly, uh, 
purposely more normal in quote marks yes slice of life this is actually life as opposed to like something fantastical yeah yeah i agree okay so you know we're in the non-spoiler section but overall i feel and here's the other thing is that you may like these in dramas i i kind of like this thing but i feel like she kind of had the writer has always like a lesson or a thing she wants to like leave the 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 viewer with and so in this case what do you feel like the lesson was of my liberation notes to you i think for me it was that we all need to escape the expectations that society has on us um or our own family or our own sense of duty and find our own path to liberation and that liberation will mean different things for different people and i love that in the show they reflected what that liberation meant for different characters and some quite unexpected ones as well um and that as you quoted earlier that everyone is living their own lives of quiet desperation and even if it doesn't seem like it on social media where everyone's living kind of very shiny polished happy versions of themselves that um we all of us have our own inner struggles and inner sorrows and inner things that we are conquering despite how much someone might see how successful someone might seem how much they seem to be smiling how you know um successfully married got their kids got a successful career kind of thing it looks like that they they have um we're all we all need to find our own liberation yeah i don't have much to add to that i'm also just going to say that long (laughs) the lesson is a long commute sucks Yes. <laughs> I was I was thinking that was the one of the things that was so real. Like I'm I'm I didn't ever have a massively long commute, but I definitely did have, you know, that Monday to Friday. I worked super long hours. I used to work in investment banking in London. And so I would leave the I'd leave my house when it was dark and I would get home and it was still dark and it was dark again. And you know, I'd lost the best best hours of the daylight inside an office with fluorescent lighting. And um it's just that drudge, that just that 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 trudging along and this kind of like you pull yourself through every day and it's just exhausting. And I remember this drama making me re- it really took me back to that time in my life. Um, cause now I don't, I don't commute at all. Like I work from home. So it's just, it's like, it's a life I feel like I really left behind. Um, but they did it. They just did it. So it's just, I think that, you know, and they didn't, they didn't slam it in your face at any point, but there's just so many modes of transport that this family had to take in order to get home every single scene, you know? Um, so yeah, it did, uh, it did really drive, drive home. Yeah. And I think soul living. I mean, I'm making a joke, but I'm also not because, okay, for me, I'm going to say that, like, especially lately, like, I am so, I think, blessed in many ways that, you know, I have a day job, you know, I am a working author, but I have a day job where I work at a university, and I am either on campus where I open up my apartment and I'm at my job, or I am living in my family's home, which is maybe a kilometer away. And so my commute, my commutes are non-existent, basically. In yeah. some ways, I almost yeah. have such a short commute, I don't, it's hard to switch back and forth. Um, 
And then my husband works from home. So we don't have this. But what it did was it really made me realize because where we live is also extraordinarily expensive. And so in some ways, some of this is like my privilege and how I moved here at a time long enough ago that was during like the big global financial collapse and was able to, you know, purchase a home and da 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 da, which is a big privilege for me. And a lot of my coworkers don't have that privilege. And in fact, people are moving further and further away from our workplace yeah. because just to pay rent, like a three bedroom house in my neighborhood right now is like $6,000 US a month, which is an extraordinary wow. sum of money when the wages don't come close to matching that. And I'm not a no. wealthy person. Like I'm not yeah. a wealthy person. And at all. <laughs> and so just to be a person who has like a regular middle class job, that, you know, whatever, like people are having to go to such lengths now. Like I know people who are commuting like sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes with traffic, almost two hours one way to get to this job. And it just made me think like, what does that do to a person over time? Yeah. And like, where do you start to lose your ability to dream? And where do you begin to just think your world just goes off center because this is just sucking at like this relentless list. So, I mean, like in some ways I'm kidding, but I felt like that commute was like a part of the character. Like it was a, another character was that commute and how it sucks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It absolutely was. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why, like, I think the sign, there's a sign that she passes on the way to the commute that she takes a photo of to send to Mr. Goo at one point. Um, it was just like, even, even sh that, that sign was just, you know, an alleviation part of the commute where it was like, okay, there's a little bright spot, you know, that's her little pocket of joy that she found on her daily trudge uh, into the office. Okay. So yeah, I always like to do a couple of questions that are like personal to, you know, us as well, because I think it's like how we experience life shows how we connect to dramas and story. So what does liberation mean to you? So I think for me, it's finding a pocket of joy, right? Finding finding a thing that's just yours and yours only that is a pocket of joy and I think actually um that became even more important to me when I had kids I had I packed them together so I have two I had two under two and I was um a stay-at-home mum for those years and I just remember there was there was times I was like, I'm losing my head here. Like everybody I meet is another mum that want you know, all we all we talk about is like sleep routines and, and weaning and, and, and toilet training. And I suck like, I just I just want to speak to people that don't care about this thing, right? I mean I, I need my outlet, I wanna complain about all these things and I do want to talk about weaning and but not like the whole time. Um and so I think I remember at that time it was my crafting, so I knit and, and crochet, um and that kinda helps take me out of it because it's not not related to the kids but um unsurprisingly since we're on this podcast talking about k-dramas for me for a while now it's been it's been my k-drama land and uh this little community that you and amy and megan and others have helped to grow and it's my own little pocket of because actually it's not nothing to do with my everyday life it's nothing to do with my family life um so it's this little kind of place i can go to whenever i want because i've got it on my instagram and you know so it's in my on my phone if i have like a five minute wait between appointments or something i can just pop back in and see what's happening with everybody um so yeah it's become it's become my little pocket of joy and I think it's the whole thing is actually quite apt in a meta way, you know, because I think one of the threads of this podcast network that we're all jointly building together is about finding that joy in amidst the daily drudge of your life.
Yeah, I mean, yes to everything you just said. And I think for me, what I'm going to go into, because I think we would have been great parenting friends, because now there's nothing so painfully tedious to me is seeing a bunch of first time mothers get together and talk <laughs> because I'm like, just don't like we, who cares about the organic wipes that you're using on their butthole? It's poop. Like, just let it go. Just don't like, you know, and I went through a period where I got sucked into it for a short amount of time. I got, and I, when I say I got sucked in, I got sucked in to where I was absurd because I tend to like get obsessive. And so like, you made, you homemade stuff, didn't you? I, I think homemade I, laundry you to I homemade laundry <laughs> for, to wash the baby's clothes and I would grind it. I would grind this, this like certain kind of organic soap to where my, my knuckles and fingers would bleed. Cause I had like a cheese grater thing and it would like constantly cut my fingers and Oh my God, I was a, I was a disaster because I got caught up very much in like the attachment, parenting, blogging, kind of shiny. And I didn't, and I mean, I thought I was smarter than that too, but they get you when you're vulnerable and exhausted and like, you're trying to do your best. You want to you, you yeah, do your best. Yeah. Breaking generational traumas. And you're like, I'm going to try my own way and I'm doing this. And like, I was living apart from family for good and bad. And so, yes, I think that I had about two years where I really was like sucked in and then I kind of like de- what is it when you get deprogrammed? <laughs> and so, and that's not to say that I'm like anti-attachment parenting. I'm at this point, I'm mostly just like, you do you. I just never want to hear about it. Like, I yeah. don't care. I don't care all what you do. You are not going to validate yourself to me by like what you do as a parent. Like whatever you need to do to get through the day, I appreciate you for that. Um, yeah. So I think for me, what that comes down to too, because I think about like my liberation in time has been, I have just started to commit to my own selfishness and considering the word selfish has always been such like a negative word and yeah. very much like focused on like, and also could be like considered to be a very Western word, right? Like I'd be like, but just that idea of like the sense of self having like the ultimate premise is not what I'm talking about, but I'm saying no. that like what I've started to realize is that if I don't name and defend my pockets of joy, essentially, and say that these are like vital to my being, then I am not going to show up in any space in a way that anyone's going to derive benefit from. Like I need yeah. to identify that like myself has value. My value can't just be how I turn up for everyone else in the world. And so that's yeah. my use of selfishness. Not that I have to advance myself by stepping on someone else, no, not no, that no. I have to center myself and make someone else diminished, but essentially be like, and, and, and I have, it is a difficult thing to do as a woman. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to do societally. Like I've had huge arguments in my home with this. I've had family and friends who think it, I am, you know, because I will not make plans or I will be like, I cannot do things because I'm going to do this other thing that I'm valuing. Not because I don't care. It's just like, we all have 24 hours in the day. I have yes. to sometimes pick. And sometimes yeah. I'm going to pick the things that I am personally going to need in that moment, not what you might need of me in that moment. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree that it's especially hard for women, I think. Yeah. And bully for you for, for defending, making that space and defending that space. And it's a I work in progress. What, it's a work in progress. Yeah. And I think actually, honestly, that's what mom should be talking about rather than like, you know, the best things to win their organic salmon like recipe or whatever with their kid, which is going to end up on the floor, by the way. Um, yeah, we should be doing that <laughs> rather than rather than all of that. But yeah. 
we just want to be told sometimes that we're going to do it right. And some, I mean, that's the thing is I just want to be like, whatever you're going to do that like is non-abusive and makes you feel good, you're, is going to be the fine choice. Yeah. Whatever that. And also, and sometimes you're, sometimes you're just going to get it wrong, but yeah. you know, it's fine. Children are remarkably resilient. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We are all healing from our, you know, we're just, we're all in a process of healing from our own backgrounds. Our kids are going to have, there's going to have bumps. Like, and what's amazing to me is sometimes the things that I, and this is like very digressing. I don't want to go off on this tangent, but it is interesting for me to sometimes see my kids reflect back to me, like the things that they're going to carry away as like a hurt or something I caused them and be like, Oh, here's a pain point that like I've left you with. Yeah. And one of them has been because they all got me at different times. My youngest very much being like, like my husband's been out of town for a week and she's like been like when is he coming home and i was like oh you're really missing dad like you know do you want to talk about that and she was like i miss playing cards because he plays cards with me and you're always working and then she does her oh. extra sad face and i was like mm, i'm not gonna like go and like weep in a corner about this because i'm actually have been very available to you and i feel okay to be like mm, this has not been like the nanny's been driving around this poor abandoned child but, you know, I could see I was like, okay, this is where she's selling herself the story. And that's her experience. And I can be, like, pointing to all these things where we've had touch points that, like, matter. Plus, she sleeps in the bed every night next to me. Plus, I'm, like, taking her, picking her up from school. I mean, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But I had this moment of, like, oh, God. And then I was like, and I'm not going to play cards with you. Like, I'm just not. Yeah. Like, that is, you just yeah. didn't get the mom who's going to want to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, Yeah. I'm very matter of fact about it in the house. I'm the same. My husband's fun dad, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just the. I'm just the one that does all of the shit that you know runs the house and yes. gets you clothes <laughs> and gets you fed. Um, but I'm not yes. fun dad. I'm not fun dad. Go find fun dad. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And if fun dad's not here, find a way to make your own fun. I know fun dad will be back fun dad will be back why don't you invent a game ready for when fun dad arrives? You know, and then you can go get be ready to play. And so, yeah, I mean, it's niggled at me enough. I bring it up here, but I will say I went to bed that night, not thinking about it ever again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get into the spoiler section. And here we're going to talk a little bit first about the author, um, Park Hae Young, who is a South Korean screenwriter. And as we've already now said, she is best known for writing television series like Another Miss O, which came out in 2016, and My Mister that came out in 2018. So it's safe to say that this writer we know does not work for the other Afternoon of Delight co-hosts, Megan and Amy. And I just want to talk a little bit more about why we feel like this writer may work to us for us. And this is another time if you do want to touch on um, some of these other dramas as well, Sarah, especially since you've seen another Miss O, go for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So as I've already mentioned, I think before that my mister is actually still my top drama. Um, so for me, the parallels here are, again, characters who are, whom living is like a slog. Um, it's a really visceral way. I think this writer manages to make us feel that it's really these characters are just literally putting one foot in front of the other and just getting through the day. Um, they're not actually living. They're just kind of physically in a realm where they're surviving. Yeah, surviving. They're surviving. And yeah, and I think watching them free themselves of this and begin living life, begin making connections with somebody else, um, 
and living for themselves and not for others, not for their family or for duty is also another one of the themes uh, that really strikes me. I think the other thing that I think this writer always is, is really, really good at, because actually my mister is the, the relationship between um, the, my mister, the Adrusi, and um, Ayu's character in my mister is really quite unique in K-drama land as well, because they are not romantic. But then they're also stri not strictly platonic either. Um, but they are also deeply connected in a kind of almost soulmate way, but not in a romantic soulmate way. Um, and I really, I really love that relationship. I really love that this story made that feel so real. Um, and I've experienced something similar to it. So I kind of, it spoke to me as well. And I think that um, in my liberation notes, they also do this really well with Mi Jong and Mr. Gu, who are more romantically linked, but as we've said before, have a very unique relationship with each other that feels very deeply connected in a soul way, like that they get each other in a, in a, in a, yeah, in a really kind of unspoken deep way and that they recognize themselves in each other. So I think that, uh, that's one of the writer's, um, real geniuses and I think both dramas for me are asking really existential questions of Korean society um, of how much of their lives is being lived to societal Confucian norms and the duty that it places on every single member of that family and the cast uh, and how much of what they want is their own life like how much of their driving for liberation is them going against those societal norms and those Confucian ideals. And I think this is genuinely a question that all East Asian societies that have this Confucian background are kind of grappling with because it's working out how how that fits in. And, and I would probably also say, uh, and, and Grace and I have just finished recording our first part of our Confucian pod, but it's been really interesting as well to kind of look at how neoclassical kind of neo-Confucianism thought and, and how they're trying to work out how that can be relevant in today's society. And because so much of what works has made say South Korea or China or Taiwan or Japan be a massively successful countries but is also at the same time I think recognized by many people kind of contributing as well to some of the things that are, are kind of problematic in all of those societies so deeply thematical and, and that I love um, for another Miss O it's, it's as I said it's a it's a really different drama in the sense it's much more of a rom-com leaning drama than a slice of life um, and I think probably for me, the similarity is in the female lead, um, which is played by So Hyun Jin in Another Miss Life. She's she's basically a hot mess of a female lead and she's brilliant. Uh, she's one of my favorite female leads ever. And uh, she, she, she is really um, raw, really honest. She runs her mouth off, but she's really true to herself. Um, and in that, she really reminds me of uh, Ki Jong, who is the eldest of the three siblings, her character. So I think for me, that was the similarity for another Miss O. How about you? I mean, I have no, I think I don't want to say anything else just to say, I think you really captured like a lot of what makes this writer work. And and yeah, for me, I think because I come from like an author background, but not a screenwriter background, there's a big, like, I have a curiosity here of how much does it feel like it's the power of the script versus mm. the, the, the cast itself. 
And in this, I just feel like, and in my mister too, but in this, because I enjoyed this even more, I think, you know, you get the magic when you can have the whole team be strong. You've got, yeah. you know, the director and the director's artistic vision of like how they want it to look and then having a good team supporting them. You've got an excellent story and then you have an excellent cast that kind of gets the assignment and brings it to life. So it's cool to see that it is very much this like multifaceted group. And that's what, yeah. And so I think about that sometimes with like the writing, especially in a quieter drama to be like, if these deliveries were flatter, if they were something like, where could this have been mishandled? Because I do think yeah. it could have been. Yeah. No, I think they really nailed it. I think they really did. There's very little that I would say, okay, you know, this I would have liked more of. Um, so I've got a question for you, Leah. So um, actually, it's your question, but I reflected it back to you. Um, if famously, uh, Mi Jong tells Mr. Gu to worship me. That's kind of, I think, for people who haven't watched the drama, that's one of the more famous things that uh, is memed about and clips are made of. Um, how did that phrase sit with you and what would be your worship me request to a handsome stranger if you were in her role instead? It's a great yeah, question. So it is a great question. It's very difficult to have it flipped on me because I don't personally love being like super vulnerable. But I, you know, as soon as I saw it, I'm just going to go with the first thing I said. And it is vulnerable because, look, this is a very, this was fucking brave of this character yes. to do this. Yes. And I felt like the minute that this happened, I was like, there's no way I'm not going to love this drama because what a choice to walk into a space with a stranger who, you know, and just be like, worship me. <laughs> it's just, it is a wild thing to do. And it, it was amazing. Um, and so I think for me, look, honestly, I was trying to think about like, where is she getting at with the worship? And I, I was like, okay. Again, I know this is grounded. I'm not Christian identifying. And I know this this uh, relationship practice is identified a little bit in like Christian marriage counseling, but it's kind of now, I think, got its own life. And that's talking about love languages. And so I don't feel like any of the love languages fully encapsulate necessarily like what I feel like my love language would be. And it would be the idea. And I know this is like it sounds, I'm trying to think of how to say it in a way that I don't feel dumb because. I only feel dumb because I'm embarrassed to like speak my truth. It's like a fine statement, but it would be to say, um, I think it would be to say like, see me yes. because the act of being seen as like my whole self, not like a facet, not like the thing I need you to see in this moment to have a transactional relationship to get through my day. Like I was funny. So I like made you laugh, which means you're more likely to agree with my idea at work or I'm at home and I'm going to like be, doing something because I know if I behave in a certain way that I'm going to like get something out of it and whatever, whatever, or, you know what I mean? Just like not seen because I'm just seen as like the prime mover that does all the shit in the background, like you were talking about. And so like, you're just kind of like, if you're not there, everyone notices it's not working, but like, you know, like when it's not like people are like, my mother-in-law once made a very astute observation about like the, the circular nature of like the female quote unquote type of work, which is like, if you eat, if you cook something and it's good, everyone just eats it and it's gone. If yeah. you do the laundry right, like it's just clean clothes are there and it's all got like, you know, so if you're doing everything like properly, it all is just, just kind of happening and like no yes. one notices it. Yeah. Um. And so I just think that sometimes I realize that like what, what would, and I don't, I think it would be very difficult to be seen fully. 
Like, I don't know how I would like to experience that, but I would like, I'd like to be curious enough to see what would that be like to have somebody really look at you and see like all the different parts of you and really just take the time to see you. Yeah. So I think you've mentioned already that you will see My Dearest. So we're recording this at the point when episode 17 of My Dearest has just dropped. And for people who are watching My Dearest, they'll know how significant that is because we've all just finished episode 17 and just had like our hearts completely blown up by one of the best heartfelt confessions in K-drama in recent times. Like this one piece of dialogue is exactly what you've just said. It's the male lead seeing all of the female lead, like all, all of her and saying, I love all of those parts of you but in a way more articulate way than I've just said. Um, so yeah, you need to watch it just for that confession scene. Um, my my love language, so this is the other funny thing. My, my, lang- my love language when I did the quiz was like overwhelmingly acts of service. It's both how I give love, which is quite a Chinese way because we make meals for each other. We don't ever tell each other that we love each other, um, but we feed, we feed people. <laughs> um, yeah, so acts of service is my way of giving, my love language of giving, and it's also my love language of receiving. And someone made this very astute observation of me as well one day that said, you know, the trouble is that you have such good female friends who are so good at acts of service and know exactly what you would like. They would you know get you the perfect day and they'd arrange it perfectly and it'd all be like done properly because they're all like busy working mums who just get shit done um so no man could ever match your female friends in terms of what they could give for you like your perfect day. if they were going to make your perfect day for you and arrange it for you like what what man on earth could ever do it as well as those friends like i think the bar is kind of too high so it was uh an astute observation and uh yeah probably that's what i'd ask for a worship me but um kind of tinged with this reality of like they probably wouldn't get it as right as my you know my bunch of female friends yeah which is the uh the curse of the cishet woman if we want to play our sad violin <laughs> yeah, so true so true so um, on okay yeah mr. Go, keep going <laughs> so why did mr goo work for you and why is he one of the sexiest characters in K-drama? I mean, besides just the obvious of like, look at the man. Um, it's, it, I want to, cause later on, I'm going to talk about why I'm so surprised this drama worked for me so well, especially just given his complete commitment to his alcoholism mm. that that should not have worked for me. Yes. And so, again, we're going to say that this is the maybe best example ever of I do not want this in real life, (laughs) but in fantasy life, the idea of that, like, my love and his worship of me is going to fix and heal (laughs) plays to something like that. Like, because when we talk about that idea of universal fantasy and butter, somebody who's broken has like done things and experienced things. And so the idea is, is that you break and then those broken parts can like leave those, that those parts can become more places where it could be more empathetic, more, you know, like in real life, a lot of times the broken pieces become very toxic and defensive and painful, but like in a fictional sense, you can be like, if somebody's broken, 
and like we connect and through love like are healed like those are going to be areas that end up becoming more mm, rich and deep and powerful and vulnerable and healing and so i'd say in some ways that kind of comes into play here is this idea that like he's real sad but like if we can just get it right like that sadness is just those deep valleys of sadness could be filled with love and how deep those valleys go kind of thing yeah yeah All right. How about you? I mean, yeah, I'm going to flip it back on you. Besides, besides the fact he is, oh, God. And, like, even as a real human, like, se separating him from his character, just watching interviews with the actor, it's uh, yeah. it sends me through the roof. Yeah. Sonsoku is, this is my first Sonsoku uh, drama, actually. Uh, I've only actually done, so the only other ones I've seen him in are DP and DP2. Yeah, same, um, same, same exactly. And... So what I think is the perfect marriage of a of a character with an actor, because there's something, and I know this sounds really unappealing, but there's something kind of oily about Sunsuku. <laughs> it's a really horrible adjective to use, but it's kind of like he can be um, just so ambivalent, right? He could just be he could he could both be amazingly good but amazingly evil in one. And there's something just a little bit kind of dirty about him, I think, which is which is what I think he works so well. Like he was cast so well for yeah. Mr. Goo, because I think our K-drama male leads generally tend to be pretty kind of clean cut, so to speak. You know, so a Park Sejun, for example, or um, a Namju Hook, they're just like, they couldn't have got Mr. Goo. Like they just wouldn't have been able to kind of exude that that kind of um yeah oiliness i can't think of another adjective but yeah i mean he's he's sweaty and oily the entire time <laughs> and yet somehow it's appealing <laughs> it's so appealing it's just so appealing he's so, and there's like this sleepy kind of eyed look that he has mm. that's kind of like like in 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 dp it kind of went into sleaziness but in my liberation notes was just on the edge of um yeah that he just became yeah that he is just and and his his eyes and i think one of the most um clipped parts of the drama in terms of their relationship is his eyes as he's watching her when they're eating dumplings together and it's just such a small scene mm. but it's just like his eyes are just adoring her mm -hmm. and i think the meme nearly always is you know like find find a man who looks like who looks at you the way mr goo looks at me john <laughs> and i mean the thing is is it's a testament somehow because when you find out like where he what his real job is and like what he does for a living and it is kind of almost over the top like i'm sure these people exist in life but it was kind of like over the top like you know like like oh well he's like really a baddie <laughs> And like, you know, like he's the, I mean, what would you even call him? Like he's a lone sharkish mafioso. Fi fixer. Yeah. Fixer, yeah. Yeah. Not, not good. <laughs> no. And I mean, I didn't even really, I was like, okay, we all, we all get like, I was like, yeah, I mean like, okay, you got to go back to what you had to realize you're not that guy anymore, I guess. That's fine. You know, yeah. if you're going to like beat up some people, destroy some stores, do your thing. I was just kind of like, eh, all right. <laughs> In real life, I do not endorse. I do not endorse no. this behavior. Okay. 
No, or or sleeping with you know having a flat full of like empty alcohol bowls. Yeah. So okay. just to be clear, we are now moving into the spoiler section. So from this point on, if you have not seen the drama, we recommend going to see the drama unless you truly feel like it's just not going to be for you. In which case, you know, listen and rethink your life choices. <laughs> Sarah. What would be uh, the sibling from the drama that resonates with you the most and why? Um, so I loved all of them so much. Uh, I was actually surprised by how much I loved them because at the beginning of the drama, I, I really, really didn't. Um, and I love Chang-Hee's arc. I love the inner core of steel that ran through Mi Jung, but probably resonating wise, it's definitely Gi Jung, who's the one who speaks to me the most. Um, I think especially how easily she falls in love and how we see her she's kind of almost addicted to this whole up and down of falling in love waiting for the text being caught up in the excitement that really reminds me of a younger version of me and it's one that comes from as it did for me an insecurity about herself that she's not she's not quite good enough um so she's always chasing this kind of these feels um and the whole way she has to tell Taehoon her feelings even that even though at that point in the drama, I think I think she feels like it's pointless because there's no way he reciprocates those feelings. She's still very true to herself. She just has to tell him, get those emotions out. Um, and they're just always so close to the surface for her. And she just has such a clumsy way of putting her foot into things and just talking so much um, that really, again, really resonated with me. How about you? I mean, I think I love them all so much, but I'm going to go with Cheng He simply because I feel like they thought they were certain ways and that, and thought that they had certain plans that like should be for that. Like, you know, like they had ideas of what they wanted and what they had to do and they had to kind of yeah. experience life and kind of do things kind of do th before they ended up being like, oh. I'm this like whole other person and I'm going to be like I have a whole other path like for me their happy ending was like the best because at the end I'm like you are on your true freaking path my friend yes and I kind of feel like yeah I've had to kind of like bounce around a little bit and be like okay this person I think I am like you know and what my idea of success is for different things like it's changed over time and and I sometimes no sometimes like not completely but i felt like i really resonated with that and at the end him just realizing that like the kind of person he thought he was going to be and also i sympathized with the fact that like okay so he's the boy in the family he's not the oldest but he was meant to be this big success yes. so i'm the oldest in my family and i felt like there was times where i was meant to be this big success and i just never felt like i was to some degree like there was this idea that like oh you were so smart and i'm like but i'm not so smart like i'm just like like this is your fantasy of like who I am, not like actually yeah. who I am. And so I feel like I resonated with that as well. This idea that like sometimes he felt like he was just letting people down and all mm. he was trying to do was just figure his shit out. Like give him a second. So yeah, I remember that Chang He at one point he says, I wish I wasn't the one I, w I wish I wasn't born the boy. I wish it had been one of you two or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um and it was quite a throwaway comment, but yeah, it really struck me because it was really like 
the weight of the Confucian duty that's placed on him as not only a son, but the only son of the family, the only male of the family, and the expectations that were placed on him. And I think he really felt like actually his sisters were more up to it than he was. He really didn't, he didn't want it. Uh, he felt the weight of it. And um, it, it, I think it must have felt really claustrophobic for him. Yeah, totally. Okay. So jumping over to the next question. So, you know, we've said there's a lot that we like here. What is a plot in the drama, though, that is a miss for you, if there is one? Uh, yeah, I think I think the main one for me is Gijong's arc or mm -hmm. lack of it. I, I agree. I agree on this. So I think you're going to sum up my feelings in this as well. Okay. Yeah. So I just I just wanted more for her. I just got to the end of the drama. I was like, is, is that it for her? Um, I was surprised because obviously I really feel like this writer knows what they're doing and I just felt like her character just got a bit shortchanged with where she ended up um, and you guys talk a lot about mirroring in K-dramas or in books and stories um, and I really felt like there was a conversation she had at the beginning of the drama which kind of set off this relationship with Taehoon and her the sister falling out with her, her because she was just bad mouthing um, divorced parents right and yes. how um that makes them really undesirable people to have relationships with um and then obviously tehun sitting there as a divorced parent um with his child and then at the end right at the end of the drama she has another conversation where she's just bad mouthing this time um i think oh, women that look old or older women um and it it just felt like a I felt like really like we've had all of this drama and she's had this art and she's exactly the same place where she was at the start of the drama. I really felt like it was a miss. Um, and then I think for her own relationship, I, I basically wanted either them to resolve the issues properly with um, his family, especially his older sister and his daughter uh, and have a kind of breakthrough, which I guess is quite K-drama or I think they should have just done it properly and just broken her up and in that moment she finds herself so actually I find it really odd that they had a time skip in the drama but then for her they didn't really come with a moment of epiphany like we we revisit her after this time skip and if anything things are worse in their relationship they're talking about kind of waiting until the daughter's like old and before getting married or something um mm. it just seems really it just seemed a a disappointing place for them to leave her, particularly as a character when she'd been so honest and vulnerable. And I just really wanted her to be the be single and embrace being single and find her, you know, sense of self-worth or be with someone she could actually have a really equal and honest relationship with um, that wasn't her being needy because I still felt that that's where she was. That's where we left her at the end of the drama. Um, and I actually always thought that she was going to end up kind of maybe end up with the womanizing boss that she ended up being quite friends with and they kind of mm -hmm. got each other. Um, so yeah, that whole, that whole kind of, um, her relationship arc especially bothered me. Yeah, I agree. The only, and we're going to talk at the very end about like the happy ending or not of the drama. And in some ways I felt like the writer, this is where I feel like I will. I'd let, this is where I always wish you could talk to writers, right? Because part of me wondered, did they get into their own head enough here that they weren't letting the story organically tell itself? And they were like, I just don't want everything to feel like it's wrapped up in this neat bow. So yeah. she's going to not get to have that. And I felt like in... 
but the natural arc of the story with the mirroring with everything with where the story went it didn't have to end where there was like no problems hakuna matata for the rest of your days but i yes. felt like there was a choice to just not take that logical next step because she's like well i don't want everyone to feel so happy i want this to feel more real and i'm like you just kind of got in the way to me i felt like it just kind of got in the way of where the story was like this if you think of the story as like you know a piece of marble and the writer like carves it out and like reveals its true form i feel like you just like left that one piece there for no like yeah why why not just finish it off it wasn't like the child had to like love you and accept you and you were the new best stepmom and it was all perfect it was just like it just ended very unfinished and i was like stylistically maybe you just kind of like that and you felt like that was kind of like a cool choice i just yeah, it didn't have to end the happiest, but I just felt like it ended on more, much more unfinished, given like that there was the rest of them had a journey that kind of hit a conclusion. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I think even if even if you just left her single, mm. that would still be better than I think where they left her. Yeah. Yeah. Because if she had chosen actually not for me, like, you know, I have sympathy. I love you. But like, I'm going to choose me and walk away from this. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, because I think also with the whole, like, she finally cut her hair. I mm -hmm. thought the finally the cutting the hair thing was going to be her yeah. her liberation. Yeah. And then we end up with her in the cafe still, like, t yeah. talking to him. Oh, I just felt like, oh, we'd gone backwards. Like, she cut yeah. her hair for a reason, surely. I, I don't feel like her, she actually got a liberation in the end. And that's yes. a mistake. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. That, I agree with that. Uh, what about you? Were there any other plot points that... No, I think I was... Once we realized that he was just like this like criminal fixer, I was like, oh my god, are we going into this direction that just feels a little bit like we have to have like some sort of like high stakes external plot to like liven things up? Because we're just uh, like... Right, it just yeah. felt like it didn't totally fit the rest of the movie. Like if he'd been like a low stakes bad guy, just kind of like a lone sharky you know i don't know predatory mlm loan kind of guy like i was like that would have it just kind of felt like a little fantastical that all of a sudden he's just like this like ass kicking baddie and i was kind of like really that's like that's what we're doing but yeah. it didn't it wasn't enough that i like i fell out of it it's just like it felt a little bit too exciting for where the rest of the drama felt very normal mm. yeah i think it i think for me it was kind of them putting the contrast of the life that he was leading versus the appeal of what living in the village and the life that he had with Mi Jung's family would have been. Um, so kind of that high contrast. Um, but I feel like even just like having him do be a regular baddie in the city and like he could have been doing like li lines of coke. Like, I mean, like lines of coke, womanizing, taking people for a ride. It just felt like putting in this like extra like high stakes fight. I was just kind of like, it just felt a little bit extra. Yeah. But we did then get scenes of Sonsaku looking great in a coat and doing good fight scenes. We so I, Look, I was I kind mean, of like grateful yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not it's not my hill to die. My hill to Diane is much more the oldest sister and how the drama just kinda like left her hanging. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just this doesn't have to be a big thing, but what is a scene that sticks in your memory? Like if you think of this drama, what is something that pops into your head with it? Besides worship me, which I feel like I don't know about you, I feel like that is like it's the a of this. Yeah, I'm that never gonna I mean that's always gonna be what I think of. Yeah. 
Actually, it's a really small one. So it's a really, it's a small voiceover. It's Changi. Um, and I just, I just love Lee Min in this drama. I just, I think I love him more because I saw him in Because This Is My First Life and he is so completely different. Um, but it was in his lines and I actually rewinded it just to make sure that I got them down. But he just says, uh, and I'm going to quote, and that's when the reason we broke up becomes that I watched a movie alone or that she texted a guy late at night and it can never be because she found out what a pathetic loser I am. Uh, and I just love that. And I think in a similar way, as the worship me moment is the, is the moment when we realise Mi Jong is not some shy, timid, quiet person um, at all. Like we had underestimated her and the drama's suddenly saying actually this is who she is she's like the biggest risk taker of all and then i think um chang he's lines here tell us that actually he isn't as unself-aware and, and bombastic as we think he is you know he actually he actually is very self-aware yes. and he realizes his own shortcomings and he is i mean I mean, there are people that go through their entire lives living exactly this line and never realizing it, right? Yes. They, they're like people that serially date and dump, serially date and dump and don't realize this is why they're doing it. And he, and he just, you know, and this writer writes amazing lines as well, just says it in, in two, three sentences. And it's like, wow, I loved it. I loved it to the point that if you gave, made me choose between Chung Hee and Mr. Gu, Look, Mr. Gu I, I would have to th I'd have to think about it and I could <laughs> I could be convinced to go Chung Hee. By the end of the drama I was like I could be just Chung team Chung Hee now. Like I yeah. love this man. Yeah. I love that man. What about you? What's the scene that sticks in your memory? So we've talked about it already, but I'm just gonna because this is again it's a small one, but it's the it's the billboard because I realized we didn't share what happened on the billboard. And the billboard just says something good I think it says something like something good is going to happen to you today. Yes. And I love it because, like, first, it's, like, a manifestation. Like, you know, I'm a manifestation girly. But just the fact that, like, yeah, she sees it every day, that she sends it to him, and that it just becomes this thing in, like, that drudgery of life. Just that, like, that's why we get up in the morning is, like, something good is going to – like, and I mean, like, I've decided to now live my life where I don't have a question, like, is something good going to happen today? Like, I try to wake up every day with the idea, like, something good is going to happen today and so um yeah i just appreciated that like it felt like very healthy survival tactics and i appreciated that like as much as getting a drink of water or having an emergency three-day supply of food in your house you have to have hope yes and i felt like this billboard was like her reminder to just be like have some fucking hope yeah yeah and she Definitely. didn't just have hope because she acted on it. Like she didn't just wait for something good to happen to her. She didn't just wait for someone to see her. She went to someone and was like, worship me. And that is like yeah. the bravest, most kick-ass K-drama heroine move I've seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we were going to talk about their relationship more, I think. You were going to, were you going to say that at the end or was there something else you were going to raise? Um... You know, I feel like we can talk about this. I We're going to talk about his alcoholism now, and I feel like that ties up a lot into their relationship. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I had a question for Leah in the script that says, how do you feel the drama handled Mr. Goo's alcoholism? So and I think it's a very the, question for you. For me, I didn't 
this was why I didn't watch the movie or not the movie, the show at first was because I knew that Mr. Goo was an alcoholic. Like that was one thing I knew about the drama was there was a hot alcoholic that was like committed to his <sighs> alcoholism and that actively sold me against it. And here's why, because the, my, and I've talked about this. It's been a minute since I've talked about my, my problem with Nicolas Cage and my worst movie, part of my hatred of Nicolas Cage, and that's not like as a person, like if he ever listens to this, like I don't hate him. Like I don't hate his soul. I don't know him, but I will be like, I hate Nicolas Cage. Part of it is because I hate leaving Las Vegas with my entire being. Oh, I remember when I watched this show, I was like, I have never hated something more and sat and watched it. And I think it could be because like, I've been touched by alcoholism in family. I've experienced like parts of it, never to the degree and never to having like, and actually I've never even had like a long-term love interest with an addiction. So, but you know, having seen it in like my extended family and seeing entrenched alcoholism. Um, and then I know it didn't romanticize the journey leaving Las Vegas. I mean, like he basically is like, I'm committed to ending my life through drinking, but it felt just like the opposite of what we see. Like me, Jong, I feel like it's like the, like if we take Nick Cage's character in leaving Las Vegas and then we take me, Jung, like, I feel like, you know, at some point people have forks in the road and they yeah. either decide to like slide into this, like, pain pity addiction and i'm and I, again this sounds ugly because i'm trying to say that like addiction isn't a disease and i believe deeply it is so i want to be careful with how i'm i take it more seriously than i'm making it right now but we're on an entertainment podcast talking about characters that are fake not like the actual crisis that is the disease of addiction but i felt like it felt very much like a man writing man's pain in a way that I am completely uninterested in. If I can be completely dead ass, that's how I felt leaving Las Vegas. I was like, this is centering man male pain experiences in a way that feels actually harmful and toxic and not the kind of embodiment of like what I want to see masculinity ever be. And so that's all I'm going to say about leaving Las Vegas. There were times that I felt like my liberation notes almost like stepped into some of those spaces of like her kind of being like, yeah, you're just going to be a fucking drunk there with 9,000 soju bottles <laughs> in the house. And I'm not going to ask for anything different. And there were times I felt like we like crept into those spaces, but because this was a smart drama written by a smart woman, I felt like we never just kind of went into that. It was almost felt like me Jung was like, either running experiments to see what would happen if she didn't put like, you know, like basically she, she had some sort of like sense of what she wanted and she knew how to play like a longer game. I'm, I'm trying to unpack like how it works for me because like, at what point is it okay that we have this like multifaceted courageous lion masquerading as just kind of a mousy woman who decides that she's going all in with this like complete drunk ass that is in his own pain and like his own toxicity, just wallowing in it. And she's kind of like, sure, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Like you do you boo. I'm still here. Like wanting you to worship me. I'm not going to ask you to change. And it just totally felt completely different than leaving Las Vegas for me. Yeah. I, I wrestled with it. it yeah. I think it's really interesting 
the comparison that you made actually because I, I always have to so I'm always watching my dramas asking myself where's my western bias where's my Asian bias you know like where do I land with this and you know is it because of this that and the other and I think on the one hand I think that the drama did a really good job of telling us why he's drinking right with some mm -hmm. really great lines about the voices in his head only stop when he drinks um, and that he's more human when he's drunk than when he's sober um, and I think they do that well but then I think there's a little bit I think that just edged it almost across the line I think there are there are scenes when you know there's the room in the village of where he lives in the village um, the one that's filled with soju bottles there's a scene where the soju bottles are glowing green yes. and um, it almost looks romantically beautiful yeah and that bothered me a little mm -hmm. bit so that's where i feel like it tipped into making the alcohol drinking um kind of romantic in a way that i don't like but then i oh i also think that and this is this is a topic i want to cover with grace in our podcast another time is just uh south korea and and alcohol um because i think i'm probably again because i'm not korean uh on a different kind of scale in terms of the acceptance of alcoholism in in social life just generally um and so there's there's that but then i think the western part of me feels like they treated the alcoholism way too lightly in the show like it it just wasn't a thing at all it was um just like treated like an aspect of his character rather than something that was actually problematic of its own and so, okay, here's something, and this, this is, again, I want to be careful with, like, going into in-depth stereotyping, and this isn't racist, this is, like, me talking about my own heritage history, right? But I come from a very predominantly Irish, like, I, there's more Irish in me than anything else. And when I go back generationally to, like, let's say, great-great-grandparent levels, and I, like, because I do a lot of genealogy stuff, too, and there's, yeah. like, some fucking skeletons in some of the Irish arms of my family. Like I, and so I go back through like my mom's family to where there was like big in me, like my great grandfather like died of syphilitic madness and had like two or three wives and clearly had like a lot of drinking problems. I had a grand great grandmother who took to her bed at like 50 due to drinking and basically just drank herself into for 20 years in bed. And oh, so, wow. There was just like a lot and so i like this these were behaviors that like when i'm going back that far to think i don't know what the migrant history of trauma was that led to like you know like the people that were kind of in like the first and second generations once they got to the u.s to yeah. be in that level of alcoholism right i mean like to yeah. have like significant serious to take to your bed in your 50s and drink yourself to death essentially for 20 years like there's been trauma in your life and um and so that got normalized then into like the generations that i was kind of raised in of like uh uncles and aunts and certainly like impact from like the vietnam war and things like that just seeing this like normalization of dealing with pain through excessive drinking and yeah. seeing people making horrific choices but we all just kind of live around it and so you could be at a family gathering where something was going very far off the rails and yet there was like the social cohesion of the whole to just kind of like be like there's that we're not going to talk about it or examine it or judge it or point fingers at it or say even that yeah. it's bad we're all just going to kind of be like well that's just kind of what happens sometimes and like keep yeah. going 
That is, yeah, that's really interesting. It actually raises two things for me. It's slightly tangential, but I think it's interesting. So I had um, uh, Korean-American colleagues uh, when I was working in banking, and one of them told me um, that Korea is like the island of Asia because of their love of alcohol, uh, because they're a split country, um, because of their innate ability to be storytellers, and because they're all great singers. So, I mean, obviously, it's like a massive stereotype. She was kind of yeah, like, and I've heard, saying, yes, I've, a, heard, I've heard this too. I've heard this too. And I also want to be very careful that, like, I am not owning my Irish identity in terms of lived experience. I can just talk about things I'm observed as being an American who has a migrant history where I can say that, like, and, and and when we talk about people who, you know, were actually part of that that country's migrant wave in my family, we're going back to like three, four generations out. Like these this is not like people I would have ever met. Yeah. But when I go back in the genealogy to be like, oh boy, like these were some huge things that like my grandma and my great grandma who I have met were yeah. grappling with with like their parents. Like I'm in like their okay, childhood. Clear, yeah, yeah. Clearly there were things that were going on that were very, very, very difficult. And yeah. skeletons that have gone to graves that are like, you know, properly dusty now. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um so yeah, so I think for me that's where the alcoholism like I, I do drink alcohol. I have been drunk in my life. <laughs> but I don't I think I've always been, I, and I get wary in in a lot of romantiz, romanticization of alcohol, simply because what I've seen has never looked romantic. It's looked so painful and unhealthy and sad and lonely, and like there's no other way you have to communicate. So that's where I think when it showed up in the drama, I was like, this is not going to feel. This is not what I'm going to enjoy to see, but in some way. And I should have the words because I'm doing a podcast on this to like unpack it to readers or to listeners to why this like it worked for me in this. But it's it's somehow once we got to the worship me and overlaying that sense of worship, it was almost like a lifeline going out. And then I felt like there was like a slow crawl back, even though it's an imperfect crawl back. Yeah. I felt like it was like a reaching for the best self. Yes. Just not neatly. Not like, oh, well, now I'm cured of alcoholism and like it's all good in the hood like none of that ever happened no no yeah i think i think you're right i think that because as much of it as an act of bravery on her part it was also matched by an act of bravery on his part as well that he was going to make a human connection yeah, so he hadn't even made the point of, I'm not going to not drink. It was just, I'm going to make a human connection and not just have everything in my life be completely numb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guess that with that as the, where, because yeah, if alcohol then serves as the numbing agent and then we're seeing the heroine show up and be like, I'm not going to like just dismantle this. You're going to be the one to walk yourself out of this too. And I also appreciated that too. Like I'm yes. not here to self-help you. I am yeah. here to be here and know my yeah. own worth and demand worship, but you will be the one who gets yourself. And I, and again, I don't want to, again, that's not exactly how I feel about addiction either. It's not like I think somebody can, it's, it's much more complicated than what I'm making it sound like, but there has to be an element of a per, a lot of this doesn't work 
in terms of recovery until the person is like, look, I've made that choice to start to do that. Yeah. I want to be very careful that I'm not getting into like judgments around recovery around this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this does tie Wait. up into the ending as well because the ending does relate a little bit to Ah, uh, okay. All right, it'll be yeah, I'll wait for you to say it because I want to see if it's going to be the same point that I was going to make, but yeah. So are we going to talk about the ending? Yeah, I just Okay, I mean, like let's talk about the ending overall and just as we talk about it, did it feel like a happy ending to you? I think I think for me when it came to the end I did think tonally that it was so in the build up towards the end, you know, when you're into the penultimate episode and you're thinking, right, where's this drama going to land? Um, I, I did think it was going to be weird if everyone is all totally happy, clappy. Like I, I knew that's not where this drama was going to be. And I don't think it would have sat right with me if it, if that had been where it was. But I think when we actually got to the end, I felt a bit like, whoa, is that, is that it? That was like really abrupt. Like the ending was, um, it came sooner than I was expecting, I think, even though obviously I knew from the timeline that I was actually close to the end of the episode. But I think afterwards, when I was reflecting a bit on it more, I came to like it a lot more than I did in that exact moment. And obviously it's kind of like, for me, it's quite an, an open-ended um, ending, but not not in an ambiguous way. I think everybody is in a, except for obviously... Um, Miko, who we've talked about, I think everyone is indefinitely in a more, in a better space. Um, and even the members of her liberation club uh, from work are all tangibly in a better place, um, but still kind of on their journey towards it. So it's not like it's, uh, you know, everything's been fully resolved and everyone's happy clappy. Um, and I did take the sign of Mr. Goo running off with his suitcase of his little holder of money and that coin spinning and tipping so that it could go either way as a sign that he was leaving it to go and get his liberation and feel liberated with me jong possibly probably um and finally kind of finding his his place and and although we don't see it i think that's kind of where the drama left us with it um but yeah and i think but i think that as we've spoken already that i think chang he's arc is the most complete of them all and i actually really loved how he kind of ended up in that funeral director's study course uh and then started smiling to himself when he was like yeah this is this is exactly where i should be yeah i well okay so let's just talk about that because that is the neatest bow i'm not an always a big neatest bow bitch but for this story it was such an unexpected and like that was not i had no idea where his story was going yeah yeah and I was just really happy that I was like, look at you stumbling in to, to exactly where you're meant to be. And then having the wherewithal and the self-knowledge to know this is where I'm meant to be. Because that's yes. what I like about it is that he is self-aware, even if he acts like a dum-dum some of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And And then we see kind of what happened with the whole, like, I think, was it the sweet potato ovens that he'd... <laughs> not picked up in order to be with the the friend of Hyuna that was dying. Um, yeah, it was all just so well done. Yeah, it was. And then I thought the coin, basically the coin toss. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but I liked it. And I felt like to me, it gave... <sighs> I felt like it made the alcohol. So this is where I was going to say my point with the alcoholism journey was that I don't feel as if 
I didn't want to watch her. I didn't want to spend time watching the drama with like the recovery part of the story, but I felt like it opened up enough of the window that I felt like, okay, recovery is possible here. And he can, like, I did feel like I could see happiness, but the balls, it's also in his court. Right. Yeah. And so like, I'm going to believe that he ends up making the right choices, but I like that. Like it kind of respected the viewer enough to be like, look, it's probably going to happen. We kind of don't know though. It's going to be his choice. Like here he is. Like it's kind of, it can go one way heads or tails. And I feel as if that kind of respected a little bit to the seriousness of the addiction without getting into like, he wasn't going to go Nick Cage in it out with like, well, I'm just drinking forever. And she's like, okay. And I was like, if that happened, I don't know what I would have done, but it also didn't feel like he was like, no more for me, which also feels just like very flippant for something that's a very heavy topic. Yeah. Very good point. Yes. So to me, that's, I, I really liked his closing of his arc. And then for me, Jung, I felt like she was in her power fully basically yeah. like and if he wants to catch up and get in with a beautiful powerful amazing woman like the door's there like just walk <laughs> through that door go for it yeah yeah i mean i think the only small little niggle thing i had was the conversation they had about how she was his therapy and again mm -hmm. i think i don't know whether that was my western bias as well it was a bit like mm -hmm. i think when he said the line i was like yeah but yeah, she's not yeah, yeah. and she can't she's be not. yeah yeah that's not her she's too cool for that <laughs> and nobody and nobody is nobody is going i mean look there is and this is where again we have that k-drama reality and where it gets hard sometimes because this this drama also want this drama wanted to be taken as actual slice of life like i feel like it really wanted to be taken as like real in yes, many ways yes, definitely and so that's where it becomes like in the fantasy of like rescuing a man or whatever it's like yeah like you're gonna save me but like in this case, I was like, you're asking me to put on a pretty real lens and viewing this drama and like, mm. you know, in this, you save yourself. Everybody yes. here is saving themselves or they're not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But what a gorgeous, what an absolutely gorgeous and lovely surprise. And I give a shout out to the reason I watched this. I do want to give a shout out was due to Becky, who is the host of It's Bananas. Yes. She basically just kind of did the worship me sell. And I was like, what, why have I, what, what have I been doing with my life? Like jump in and watch it. Like I've been saying no due to the alcoholism. As soon as I heard really, and just thought a lot about the worship me part, I was like, I'm in, I'm just watching yeah. it right now. And I just like got through it in like four days. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think was all in. I think for me, I didn't watch it when it was dropping live either. I just wasn't in the right space in my head and I, I always knew that I would watch this drama because I knew that I was going to like it but I wanted to wait until I was in exactly the right headspace for it and when I did it was just great it was so good but yeah. Becky's loving Becky's loving my my dearest um so obviously and and <laughs> you and I, I trust both of you when you tell me you are going to like this the only thing I have been feeling bad about is that I still haven't and I am going to is that I haven't watched the red sleeve and I've been telling yes. you I'm going to watch the red sleeve. Yes. So then I was like, well, how can I get to my dearest if I haven't even started the red sleeve yet? But now I'm like, eh, oh, I'm fine. just doing it. I'm you're doing, just it. doing it. Well, my dearest is a 2023 drama, right? So you're doing it for the, uh, for the, <laughs> for the, <laughs> yeah. for the year end thing as well. But, um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm going to do a mini sell on Leah in case she hasn't heard it from Becky and then also for the podcast listeners as well. So a lot of the patron have been loving My Dearest. Um, so I think this is really hitting. Uh, for those of you who um, 
this might be a thing. So it's really, it's a really epic historical and it's very gone with the wind. Um, so much so because I think people made that comparison right from the start and I kind of like was like I don't really see it but as you go through the drama you realize um you know there hasn't been a chosen Scarlet O'Hara and there hasn't been a chosen version of Rhett Butler um but they've put them in this they've put this in this drama and there is a very very dull scholarly Confucian scholarly Ashley um so that's like the kind of the setup of of the drama um, but there is so much that this drama puts these characters through and uh, the script has done so well. And this is my first uh, Nam Gong Min drama. Um, and he is just, I think, blowing everybody away. Like his micro expressions are just amazing. And the chemistry he has with An An Eun Jin is, is also incredible. Um, so we're all just on tenterhooks because we just don't know as i said we're on episode 17 just dropped they've just announced an extra episode so we're gonna have the four episodes left and we just don't know how it's gonna end i mean there's there's lots of us that feel like it can't have a happy ending because you just can't see how it's gonna pan out um but most of us are living in hope that they'll somehow somehow give us one so it's not too late to start leah here's a question that i have for you because I mean, I'm sold. I'm I'm so sold. Is this though? Because and the, and I think this is fair to ask now because yes. you don't even know how it's going to end. Exactly. Do you feel like Gone with the Wind is a happy, a door open happy ending or a hard door closed sad end? Like you know, like do you feel like with the relationship? I guess door open. Door no, closed. I don't. I I think it's not a happy ending. That okay. that's how I always felt like watching that that film how about you i felt like door open today's gonna be oh, another right. day hmm. i was like he's not turning down he's in his pain he's in his sads he's in his feels scarlet's getting it back of course <laughs> <laughs> i just i trust i trust scarlet to close that loop but i think that like look horrible things happened to them they were terrible people to each other yes yeah they were yeah Oh, it's so good. And he's so good with a sword. So I don't know if you're like missing the whole Alchemy of Souls, Jang Ok sword thing, but he is so good with a sword. Like he has some really great action okay. scenes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm really excited for this. So, um, <sighs> yeah. And I mean, I'm curious. I'm just curious to see. And the other thing is I have no predictions because I haven't seen how much. Like, So here's my other question is how much of a retelling do you feel like it is? Like how strict of a retelling does it feel like it is? Or is it very kind of like just like subtly? Like if you were just going in cold, would you be like, oh my gosh, this is a Gone with the Wind retelling? Oh, no, no, it's not a retelling at all. It's just okay. it's just like the bare bones of it. And I don't know if Becky's warned you because I know she felt the same way because we were talking on the Patreon chat about that. Um, but the first two episodes are a bit like, oh, I'm not really feeling this. Why is everyone so mad about it? Um, because I think Becky started it a bit later than everybody else. And I was like, okay. just keep going. Honestly, just keep going. Okay, so soon- what episode? What's the episode? It's all going to turn around i think episode five okay. i think it is yes yeah, so you love- have to get through i think you have to get so basically it's when shit starts hitting the fan and um it's very gone with the wind in that sense right because the the the, the setup is like these very uh superficial characters 
Um, they're pretty materialistic. They're not actually very likable. Um, they meet each other. They're kind of sparky with each other. And you're just like, I don't really care about either of you. You're just not very nice people. And then shit happens to both of them. And you're like, oh, okay, actually, they're not who I thought they were. They're like incredibly strong people um, and have, you know, inner cores of steel. And this is how they're going to handle everything that this period throws them and then if you're a historic like an historical fan which i know you are leah mm -hmm. um this then si shines a light on a period of history that i don't think we've really seen so much so it's um it's when the qing dynasty is battling the ming dynasty for um superiority in china and as part of it they kind of bring the whole of the chosen empire in to become like a puppet state and okay. it's what the Qing dynasty did to Chosun during this period which is a period that is still like a scar on most Korean people's um, memories in terms of like foreign countries invading their country and what kind of so what kind of rough time like what kind of what years are we kind of roughly talking about are we in like the 1600 like yeah 16 okay. I want to say 1630 or something. Yeah. So it's the first, it's the very first, uh, yeah, the transition from Ming to Qing and the Manchu conquest of China. So 1618 to 1683. Okay. Yeah. So it's a really fascinating um, period of, of history as well. And the drama does really... So there is a little bit of court stuff and a little bit of like, you know, that never, that never bothers me. That no, never I'm bothers not. you. <laughs> yeah. I know you're like, I know, but just for the other listeners, there is a little bit of it, but it's actually really interesting because it's less about like, um, you know, dowagers battling for their sons to be king type drama. It's more like, what are we as the chosen, um, you know, dynasty going to do against this invading set of barbarians that just keep putting, um, you know, all these demands on us and they're kind of making us do all these things um, to gain power. So, yeah, okay. it's great. No, I'm into it. I'm excited. Where did you get to with Call It Love? Did I get anywhere with Call It Love? Did you start it? I thought you were going to start it. I thought you had started it. Hang on just a second. <laughs> I have not. I have not started it. I don't ah. think, unless I am missing something in like a deep hallucination. Let me just look it up. Yeah, no, no, you did. You did. You said you were like, she got into the funeral parlor and you were just like, sold. No, I have no? not. I got, I got Hulu. No, you're right. I did. I did start the, wait, hang on. Did I, I think I watched this whole thing. <laughs> I did. I think I watched the whole thing. Hang on. Oh, no. Yes, I watched this entire drama. <laughs> it made so much of an impact on you, Leah. Look, I was. here's what happened with Call It Love. Now I'm remembering it because I kind of deleted it in my head. I thought the first part of it was amazing. Like, it feels a little like I have to go back and really like look at what happened to me on this that I deleted it from my brain <laughs> I loved 
like going into the funeral home. Like the whole thing was just like perfect. And I liked him in it. Um, I yeah. felt as if, you know what? I don't think I finished it. I think I might've fallen out around like episode 13, 14. Like, I think I'm close to the end, right? it felt a, not something in the rain in this terms of like it being the same kind of plot, but I felt like it had my interest very, very strongly. Yes. And then it just fell off to the point that I forgot it even existed. Now that now that I'm like putting it together, I'm like, oh, I was all in on that. I think I watched like the first seven or eight episodes in like two days. Yeah. And then I don't know what happened. I think I just was like, this just feels like it's meandering in the same territory. I'm out. Right. So I should probably go back and finish that because I, I was like, call it love. I've never even heard of this before. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, no, I totally have. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. I got Hulu. I got, as soon as I opened it up, I'm like, Hulu, wait, I got Hulu to watch this drama. Yeah. I really deleted Son that from my brain. I like hardcore, really like went into the hard drive and was like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Because I thought you really liked the pharmacist as well. Like the second leads. I have to go back and watch it, don't I? Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like only remembering some of this now. I just, I loved the beginning so much. And then I just have felt like it really, like, I just felt like it ran out of gas for me, but maybe it picks back up and I just got into a saggy middle, or maybe I was just getting too, like, distracted with other stuff. But you're right. I need to go back and finish this because I completely, I literally completely, completely, like, I'm not kidding when I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what this yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was there when you were like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I didn't start it. I actually began to think, like, shit, did I not have this conversation with Leah then? Did she yeah, think? no, I'm not trying to, like ghost you on this because the thing is is that the beginning well the beginning is one of the greatest i feel like some of the greatest in like top tier scenes of k-drama like i thought her whole going to her father's funeral yeah. and kind of the fallout and like the drama around that i was in it a hundred percent yeah yeah so okay so you know what how about i will revisit this and this yes. could be another pod that we have together because yes. i think i'm actually kind of i want to go back to hulu because i haven't looked at hulu since so i'll nobody else has watched it so i can see actually i'm gonna pull up and tell you exactly where i'm at just for like the sake of enjoyment let's see where I'm at. <laughs> the patron loved call it love they really did so so maybe i will who... end up liking it a lot and i just hit a point where like i fell out and i'm gonna come back being like gosh i just hit like maybe a small slump and i just jumped out too hard yeah, I think it was. Oh, was it actually? Ever? I'm pretty early in. I have I have just starting episode six. Oh, okay. I think it was. Was it during the time? Like, I think you were preparing to go to Seoul, so I think you had a lot on. Was it? Was it that that time period? I think. Um, it very well could be. So I'm just trying to see what happened in episode five that really just knocked me out. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to have to go back and rewatch episode five so I can remember what knocked me out in it. Yeah, because. She's in there to take him down, right? Like that's the whole conceit. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, it's a it starts with a revenge thing, and then yeah, and then but and he's then... a big green. He he is a he is very cute. I do know he's very cute, and he's big green fairy hero. So you know what? Let's just hit pause. I will go back and add that back into the fray. I'd completely Yay. forgotten about it, and I can tell you if I don't like it, why? But I can't tell you right now because I it's too deleted <laughs> from my brain for me to know. But now that I'm thinking of it, I'm like, oh, no, it was. I was really into it. I don't know what happened. And oh. then I was like, I felt like I did hit a point where I was like, oh, I feel like I have to force myself. I think in episode five, 
four or five, I was like, I feel like I have to force myself a little bit. And then I think I just jumped ship for, I don't think I meant to jump ship forever. I don't think I meant to delete it from my brain. Right. Okay, good, good. Because for most of this year, that was my drama of the year until okay, okay. until I watched Moving. So well, I haven't seen enough to say that I can be an asshole about it. I do know I love the first like three episodes. Yeah, I remember you messaging me and I was like yeah. excited for you. Yeah, and then something happened in it and I forget what, but it felt maybe like it felt like there was like a little bit of repetition or it just hit me in like a, yeah, you know, that'll be another conversation is like when we decide to like, <laughs> when, when does something stop hitting us and why? Yeah. And, yeah, and when point. it's an us thing and when it's a drama thing, because sometimes it's the drama's fault. But yes. I think in this case, I do think it was probably more life. I think if I can go back, I think I had a humongous amount on for work. Yeah. And there might have been something else I was meant to watch for the pod, the other pod. And so I jumped mm. over on that and it's just like life just keeps moving. And sometimes you're like, wait, what? Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. No, I feel I that. truly truly was like i've never heard of this drama that you're speaking of and now i'm like oh no we had whole conversations about it <laughs> it's not you it's really not you it's not the drama either leah so give it another go okay yeah. okay good all right well this has been a very long drama or a very long pod but you know what it's kind of a longer drama too so i think it's yeah. fine yeah exactly it's a slow burn slow burn just like our pod today and uh, so we will be coming back and doing Call It Love, as well as uh, something in the dear, rain. Something in the rain, yes. Yeah, and we're going to do also, that with uh, with Megan, with, right? Yeah, with Afternoon Army Megan. Yeah. Yes, and then I think we will also be doing My Dearest, maybe with Becky, because I guarantee Megan and Amy will not be watching My Dearest. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of selling it to them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, I am going to. I've got a lot to watch, so it's a good thing I have a weekend with no uh, no son or husband around and daughters that like to watch K drama. And I'm gonna just call it that for the weekend. Yay! Yay! Excellent. Right. So lovely to speak to you. You too. All right. See you. Annyeong. Annyeong. da. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!